0: so chandler bolt welcome to the podcast so let's give a a quick intro to chandler so Chandler Bolt runs a self-publishing school very popular service that takes you through the entire process of self-publishing a book right uh their introductory product starts at six grand and goes up from there right yep oh my god good lord and you've helped people publish more than five thousand something books y'all do i mean north of five million to ten million in sales per year and uh also some interesting facts about chandler your family has a famous Airbnb called the Bolt Farm Treehouse um, that has two hundred plus thousand followers on Instagram. An Airbnb that has two hundred thousand plus followers. Interesting. And your brother is a famous rock star in a brand called Need to Breathe. It's a. It's kind of an interesting life.
1: Yeah, it's uh. So it's funny, you know, on the for people who are watching the video version, this is my brother and I wrote a book. It's the first book. Breaking Hold it out up broken uh, system. over there. Yeah. So breaking out a broken system and. It was all about how – because, I mean, this is like kind of tangenting probably what we want to talk about. But, um, you know, my brother – I grew up with my brother being kind of this famous musician, Grammy-nominated, rock and roll band, like all that stuff. And, and so it's – we felt like there were 15 things our parents taught us that we thought were normal, but we got out in the real world and realized that no one gets taught this stuff. And so it's, and it, that's why it's, you know, the first half is his, his stuff, which is white on black pages. The second half is my stuff, which is black on white pages. And it's his perspective. He's a musician. Mine is a business guy kind of on these same 15 things. Oh, so, interesting. Do your yeah. parents
0: introduce you at family meetings and stuff? Like they're like, this is our, uh, this is our famous rock star son. And this is a yeah. Chandler. He helps people. <laughs> he, <laughs> he just said <does laughs> business stuff. He, he wrote boring. a book or something <laughs> like he self published a book.
1: Oh, it's the it's, it's classic. Sorry, not to, not to, Go not for to it. get off on it, but but like it's the classic. I think what's the saying is like, you know, most business people want to be musicians or rock stars and musicians or rock stars want to be business people. It's like the classic. Yeah. Classic I think right also there.
0: comedians always want to be musicians and musicians yeah. would rather be comedians because they yeah. get to do different stuff each time. Let's talk about, okay, so obviously we're right here because we're talking about books. Um, how many books have you written? Uh, six. So you have wrote six. Yes. And how many copies of books roughly have you sold? Oh, gosh! Um, are we talking about hundred or are we talking about hundred thousand
1: plus, probably? Oh, yeah.
0: And that, like, so you make money off of selling books, also.
1: Yes, yes.
0: But then you also, obviously, it's like an upgrade and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. Okay, so how long does it typically take someone to write a book? Because you've gone through this process with like what five thousand people? Yeah, we've we've yeah. So how long does it typically take?
1: Um, so I think it's fifty to seventy percent or so of our students write and publish their book in less than a year. Um now if you just say how long does it generally take people to write books? I mean if you're going through a traditional publishing company it's gonna be a minimum of two years plus. Um if you're self publishing on your own, it might be a year, it might be a decade, depending on how disciplined you are. right? Right? Um and then but our goal is to save people hundreds of hours in the process. So it's like how do you move through the process faster but also write a better book? I mean it's Parkinson's law if You know, an object will swell in proportion to the amount of time you give yourself to complete this thing. So uh, what what we found, at least, is even with traditionally published books, most of the writing happens in the last two months before the manuscript (laughs) deadline. Yeah, buddy. I've got this deadline. i got (laughs) to hit. And so it's like, okay, well, what if we just did that but from the start? And we have kind of this forced constraint that will help you get the book done faster but also write a better book
0: well how do you put pressure on people to do that force constraint yeah yeah it's like their 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 service that they paid 6k plus four exactly. runs
1: out well it's like the classic um it's the classic you know when growing up it's my mom and i did p90x so you ever heard of that and it's like yeah. and they paid like a hundred dollars for dvds back in the day and it was like but it was like everyone said you're paying a hundred dollars for DVDs. It's like, well, no, you're people who pay, pay attention. Like I'm paying so that I will then actually do the thing. And so sure there's part of it is that, but then a lot of it is the reason we went more up market is because we just saw students got better results when they had more accountability and coaching. So we had the kind of, okay, here's the course only piece, but those students just didn't get as much results. So we said, how can we go up market enough to where we can like push in accountability mechanisms? So there's one-on-one coaching throughout. There's hundreds of group coaching calls over the course of a year. Like we have multiple group coaching calls every single day where people just hop into a Zoom room. We have, it's like set up to where if someone's sitting in one phase for too long, like they say are in the rough draft phase. It's like someone on my team will call them and say, hey, I just want to check in. Like, how's the book going? Let's take the next step and just like always trying to always trying to hold people accountable to take the next step, which, you know, I, I think in theory, a lot of a lot, there's a lot of reason people pay us money. But then sometimes it's not as comfortable when you're on the other end of it where it's like, hey, no, you need to write your book like, you need to get <laughs> it done. Um, you've been sitting in the rough draft
0: phase for three months. Like, what are you doing? Like, You're so nice. I can't imagine you like, pushing someone. <laughs> I'm
1: not making those calls. <laughs>
0: okay, You're way too nice, but <laughs> you need someone like me to come be like, Hey, I will come to your house and kill no, you. you no, we're friendly. We're <laughs> friendly. So, um, that's really interesting. Um, you always do self, wait, first of all, I'm always fascinated by your business model because when I first met you, you were doing this also and I thought you were selling just like a single course, like yeah. for 49 bucks on Udemy mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that. Then I realized your introductory offer at the time was like 5 or 6k and I was like, yep. Oh, wait, that's different. Yeah. Um. And I remember, like, you kind of have jumped to what the end evolution, I think, of courses is. Right now, it was courses, where, but you basically give people more work. Yeah. Then I think it's going to cohorts right now. Like, that's kind of like a, a definite trend. And you've kind of done – yours is a little bit like a cohort. Like, within one year, you're going to publish a book. Yes. But 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 you don't start everyone at the same time. It's like you could, I can could yeah. start tomorrow if I want. It's a
1: rolling cohort,
0: yeah. Rolling and, cohort. I've never heard that word. It,
1: yeah, it, which probably defeats the purpose. It's like that's an oxymoron in a sense. It's like it's okay. That's maybe not a cohort, but because we do. I mean, we have probably I don't know whatever it is five to ten people are signing up per day. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a rolling amount of oh if if you hop in on this group coaching call that's the rough draft group coaching call. We'll automatically well I guess in kinda of we do it is we flip we just flip things probably two years ago where we said, Oh, there's milestone there's a there's a course promise and then there's milestones to get to that promise. So we break it down, and I think it's about seven milestones. And then we said, well what if we just put the milestones at the front of everything that we do and then everything else is just supporting that, right? So it's like mm. group coaching call, one on one coaching call, curriculum in the course, like everything is just okay, now how do we help this student take the very next step into their next milestone? And so then we just said, oh, well, now we're going to have group coaching calls, but they're all specific to the milestones. And so then most people, the way they do cohorts is like, oh, when did you sign up? Okay, you're in that cohort, right? Well, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, this should actually be based on where people are at in the process because we might have signed up at the same time, and you might be way further ahead than me. Well the fact that we're grouped now in this same cohort is not mm. really that helpful. But if I know that I can show up to a rough draft group coaching call or a rough draft, like half day workshop, um, and know that all those people are working on the same exact thing, maybe I can find an accountability partner in there as well. And it's like, so it's, it's just, but you have to be at a certain volume where that makes sense. Otherwise, I mean, and I remember it was a chicken of the egg conundrum for us in the early days is, like, <laughs> oh, man, we're doing these big launches a couple times a year, a feel like we need to switch from that because it's like the crack business model of just like, you know, it's like make all this money in a short period of time and then it's just feast or famine. And so you, then you finally, we, we finally broke that threshold and then it was, okay, now we've got these rolling cohorts and we can sign people up at any time. And
0: what do you, so so with that launch model of courses, um, I mean, I've seen it a million times, including with myself and a yeah. bunch of creators we've produced for yes. is just like, They do a launch, and the first time, the first time a creator does a launch, it works really well because everyone's like, wow, I've never seen a product from them, they're excited. And then it's like, they're like, wow, that worked well. Maybe this come to business. And they're like, we'll launch it a second time. And everyone's like, all right, okay. And then like the third time. And then like, I'm always like, talk to me the 17th time you've yes. launched this course. You start to get some course launch fatigue. Oh, no doubt. Right? So no, you no. you fully moved over to the just this like rolling cohort, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Interesting. Okay,
1: yeah. I like and that. And it doesn't mean you can't do promotions. I mean, we still do promotions. Like, mm. we're in the middle of one right now. It's like this full-time author challenge. And so it's like, oh, it's a five-day challenge. We're helping people sell more books, like stuff like that. And so, you know, we'll still do promotions, but I, I'm a big, like, you know, iterative guy with, when it comes to business and anything, it's just like, I hated the fact that something could totally go wrong Uh and then that just botches a majority of your revenue. And you're just working up to that for three or four months. And exactly what you said, it's just launch fatigue. And it's like, man, if I have to hit up my friends one more time to promote this thing, and yeah. and just like, oh, and then you just feel like, all right, I'm just like, you know, it, yeah, it, it wasn't for me personally. Um, and so that's why we do the ongoing stuff and then just force you to run an actual business and get better. But on the flip side, like the highest leverage thing that you could do all year is one of those launches. So it's kind of like that. Mm, it's it's true. like a, what I alluded to earlier. It's like a, um, it's a, 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 I remember someone talking about this concept of crack money where it's like, <laughs> their mentor told him, is like, okay, what's that, what's that thing that you could do in a short period of time that would make a, a big amount of cash, but you can't keep doing it. Right. Cause uh-huh. you'll get, so it's like bartending for a lot of people is crack money. It's like, oh my gosh, I can make a ton of money in a short period of time. But if that's not in alignment with your long term goals and you don't stop and evaluate, well then you're going to wake up and 15 years later you're bartending. Right. But the concept as it relates to like business and stuff is like, for me, I ran a house painting company in college. So it's like my version of crack money in the early days was like, okay, I could go paint a couple of houses and make in two days, make enough money to pay the bills for a month or two. And then I can spend the other 28 days working on my business. Right. So it's like, it's really nice. So similar with launches in the early phase of your business, it's really great to get a lot of cash flowing, but then you wake up and you're like, all right, I can't keep doing this long term. It's not sustainable.
0: Mm. I, I totally feel you. I also get annoyed when people's lists—I get on their lists—and at first they're sending a lot of good stuff, and then it's just like a constant launch. And like we've gone through that too. We're just yeah. like, should how many sales can we do before people yeah. kind of get a little bit turned off? Yeah. Some people never unsubscribe, but then they stop opening as much. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be really careful about that. Let's, so let's get back to the kind of nuts and bolts of books. Um, should you? Okay, you your place is called Self Publishing School, so you yeah. specifically went all self publishing. How come you kind of like eschewed? Uh, the, the traditional publishing. Realm.
1: Yeah, uh, and early on it was us versus them. I mean, it was like classic mm-hmm. us versus them marketing, and so we were we were the little guy, the underdog, the okay. Or the Uber of the publishing industry, like, you know, taxis, uh, everyone knew they were broken and no one did anything about it. You felt slimy. You felt like you were taking advantage of. Then Uber came along. Overused analogy, but feels similarly with the publishing world. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, everyone knows that it's like you're getting screwed and traditional publishing industry is broken and all that. So, like, that was kind of the the starting point. But I, it, it's the... I mean, it's the riches are in the niches. Like, how do we how do we start very specific and then expand from there? And that's kind of what we've done. So it's you know, we've even now it's like, all right, we'll work with some traditionally published authors. And I think in a lot of cases, like what we have to offer it, it helps traditionally published authors. Um But our bread and butter is like putting the power back in the hands of the author and helping them publish it themselves. And, you know. Kind of control the end-to-end process and all that stuff.
0: Well, I've also been through the publishing process a few times self. And then I've actually, I don't know if you know, but me and Noah are going to co-author a book uh, when we're working on AppSumoTon. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were going to offer us a seven-figure advance. And uh, and the reason is, and we talked to, I think it was like Ramit Sethi's book, like, or Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss's book publisher guy. And we went to New York and met him. And basically, all the book publishing industry wanted was to sell 10,000 books. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? Is that a magic number, roughly? For for a lot, I mean, and yeah, and for a lot of them, it's 10,000 in week one.
1: Um, so oh, you can hit some sort of list, like mm-hmm. that could help you hit the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or USA Today bestseller list or whatever. But then, yeah. And and depending on the advance, I mean, it's, it's basically traditional publishers are venture capitalists, right? They're going to place 10 bets huh. on authors. One of those books is going to really go and nine of them aren't. And so then the... The the nine of them are upset that they don't have the rights to their book and their books aren't really selling. And then the one of them is upset because they they feel like they've sold all these books and they're not really getting paid what they what they would like to get paid for those for selling all those books. But I mean it's it's the same thing as venture capitalists, right? But then you the difference is you have a backlist too, so that's where all the money is is in publishing. It's like okay, the five love languages mm. is going to continue selling a million books a year till the end of time, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, if I'm a publisher and I, I own that as part of my backlist, it's recurring revenue business, which not many people would think about books as a recurring revenue business, mm-hmm. but they just keep selling. And so it's, all right, how do we cover that? Adva- the advance is the investment. How do we cover What's our likelihood of covering that advance? And what's the likelihood of long-term sales? And, like,
0: that's the business model in a nutshell. I've never heard it described as VC. That makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's pretty interesting. And I've so never that's heard. also
1: why you see uh, all of these, uh, like, the big five or the big seven becomes the big five becomes the big four and they're just swallowing up all because these these publishing companies are often also owned by big media corporations you know pretty much all that are owned by disney right um but but they're they're owned by big publishing corporation new ceo will come in and say hey i've got to hit quarterly revenue targets let's just sell off this publishing Division that isn't that profitable, and on the flip side, the other people are saying, "Oh, I want that Mm backlist, and I I want guaranteed future revenue," and so that I mean, it just makes sense to 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 just
0: swallow up all those publishing. That's super interesting. But then Amazon comes around, and so so for example, each of these books I wrote in less than three months. So this book will teach you how to write better, which is actually a book like about like copywriting. And this one was just like a thesis on like why I picked a day to die when I'm 85 years old. And I wrote both of these in three months. And if you look at them, they're super small. Each one's like 48 pages or something. And it, it's kind of weird. Like it took three months to write like this stupid little book, like this tiny little thing. And then I remember when we were doing stuff with an actual traditional author, it was way more of a pain in the ass, mm. like way more. And they wanted like 300 pages. And I was like, mm. there is nothing that you have to take 300 pages to say. Yes. There is absolutely nothing nowadays. I can yes. make a video that will explain this in five yes. minutes. Yeah. And like, we need 300 pages. And I was like, why 300 pages? And then I realized like they want the book to be thick. Yeah. Thick book, sell more, That's yep. more money. Right. Yep. Thin book worth less money. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that actually true? Yeah. Kind and of, they kind of shoot for that 275
1: page, like sweet spot. It's just kind of a a solid length of a business book that I'm, I'm sure there's other methodology behind it, but then some of it is just, it's how we've done it. So there's not really, it's not it's the five love languages. is yeah.
0: 275 pages. So yours should be 275 totally. pages because I remember I read, I read some, book, I read a decent amount of books, not as many as you. I go through a decent amount and I'll read like half the book and I'm like, that was a great book. And then they'll start just telling like random stories and the book kind of falls apart. Yeah. And it's totally just and then you're with mad. It. Did you have like, to do why that? Did you have to do this? Did you have to put some filler in there? Oh no, I was just looking. I was like, huh, wait, now I'm curious.
1: Mine's I guess 199 pages. Dude, you're bucking the trend already because oh, you're self-publishing. 202, 202, yeah. But you self-published that, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. And, and, a lot of it can be dependent on formatting and a bunch of other stuff, but I want ADD friendly books. So that made my book longer, and because there's all these images and all that stuff, because you know, I'm a C level English student and a college dropout with ADHD. So it's mm-hmm. like, I've got to be able to understand this and, and, and I want other people to be under, to be able to understand it. But I love the, as it relates to the length of books, it's like, I learned this from your copywriting course way back in the day. I'll never forget it. I, I feel like I repeat this often. Um, but it's like, how long should a sales letter be? I think you answered in one of your videos or something. It's like, uh, like a woman's skirt long enough to cover this. Inch yeah. Short enough to it We don't, we don't in. talk about that
0: analogy anymore, it didn't age very <laughs> it didn't age well. It wasn't mine either. It was Joe Sherman. <laughs> blame him. It was, I, I think <laughs> we actually have to edit out of this. Oh yeah, it's still in here. Oh my God. I'm not even going to show it. But it says, a copy is like a woman's skirt. It should be long enough to cover the essentials, but short enough to keep it interesting. It's an old quote. Don't blame me. <laughs> Look, my team has also said not to reference
1: that quote. Uh, but I'm like, it you instantly get it. You instantly get it. <laughs> I but mean why I can't we just have analogies?
0: Yeah. Why can't we have nice The book people? was written in 2013, okay? <laughs> it's not that bad. It's oh, we'll all live. Man. Yeah, but um I, I totally agree. But here's the thing. Here's the only reason that we originally wanted to go through a, a big seller. The New York Times bestseller list. Come on. I mean that's that's yeah. like the re scam? Yes. But when you put that on there, I mean once you get a New York Times bestseller list. I mean, you just put that on the bio, ba-bam. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: It's well, got that – I know you think it's a scam, but most people, like, probably oh, for think sure. it's awesome, right? For sure, for sure. And and I kind of tongue-in-cheek.
1: So the thing is it's not a real bestseller list, but it doesn't – I mean, as in with anything in life, it doesn't matter what's real. It matters what people think is real, mm-hmm. right? And so if, if my perception is that that is real, then I'm going I'm to view you differently because of that. So basically the New York Times is an editorial bestseller list which means it's directionally based on units sold but not actually based on units sold. Mm -hmm. And so it's editorial, meaning editors make the decisions on what is included and what is not included. So if it's raining in New York or if my girlfriend just dumped me or any other number of things, I as the editor – or I can just say I don't like Neville – uh, I think he's not funny, uh and so therefore i'm gonna take you off the bestseller list right um or you're in the internet marketing world, so therefore I don't like that and yep, like there's been multiple people who have sold way more than enough copies and just got kept off the list um and they you know they knew how much the the number one person sold, and they sold more than that, and they weren't on the list right so that's the only that's my only beef with the new york Times um but but Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list are actual. Mm-hmm. Um, Wall Street Journal was in the middle, and then USA Today is like pure number of books sold. So I think it's the truest mm-hmm. bestseller list. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it doesn't – the, the cachet of I'm a New York Times bestseller still means a lot to a lot of people.
0: Is there, like, I know people put Amazon bestseller, which I don't know anymore, but at one point it was, like, literally, like, by-the-minute stats. Totally. So you totally. sell, like, three books in an yeah. hour, and, like, you're yeah. at 3 a.m. Totally. And you're number one.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the flip side of it, right? Which, that's way overused. Yeah. Um. And I, and I think it's it's kind of ridiculous, and so, yes, it's still by-the-minute stats, and it's weighted. They'll never say what the algorithm is, but it's highly Weighted towards recency. You know, there's probably 25 to 50% of the algorithm is on last day or last week. Then there's probably another 25% that's last month and then whatever. And so it's, 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 but it's very much recency weighted. Well, because think about it. If you're Amazon and you, and and the consumer comes back and sees the same list Mm -hmm. every time that they come back, well, they're not going to buy any new books. So it's mm-hmm. good for business to have a list that changes yeah. Um because then people are coming back to that list saying, oh, that looks interesting. I'll, I'll buy that. And well,
0: so they have multiple all-time bestseller oh, yeah, lists, right? Because sure, sure. I remember seeing like the number one was like the Bible or, or something yeah, along those lines, which it will probably be for a long time. But then like there's also like the new bestsellers.
1: Yeah. So they have hot new releases. and then And so that's where I think people have taken it too far, which is like, Oh, I'm a hot new release in underwater basket weaving with oh, the books. You know, it's like, okay, now I'm an Amazon bestseller. It's like, that's kind of ridiculous. Um And I guess it's a classic thing though, right? It's like, I might think that's ridiculous, but it doesn't matter what it is. It matters what people think that it Fair is. Fair enough. Good point. <laughs> so Good it's point. like on both ends of the equation, it's, uh it's, there's truth and there's a version of the truth, but um yeah, I think, and, and. And I guess one other thing which is kind of surprising is that the majority of the top 100 books in all of Amazon are fiction books, which – so there's a difference writing fiction and nonfiction. I always say it's kind of like – use a baseball analogy. It's like nonfiction It's way easier to have base hits, singles and doubles. Like you can more predictably make money um, from a nonfiction book, whereas fiction, it's like a a home run hitter. You're going to strike out a lot, but then if you hit a home run, it's going to be big. And so, I mean, the big fiction authors; those are those are the people who make all the money on Amazon. But it's so, like it's the Andy flawed. Weir,
0: The Martian, yeah, all those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, and fiction is way bigger. Serialized
1: fiction, money. yeah, it's way bigger money um, for a small group of people because I mean, it needs to be good. I need to believe that it's good. There's a higher barrier to interest. Like, I'm not buying a, I'm not buying a fiction novel from No Name So and So. Like, it might suck. But if if they have a bajillion reviews and a whole series, it's like oh, I could get into this. And my friend said, "Hey, it's good. I could get in that
0: series." So, but generally, like a book like yours, like you're also selling six k a pop, five yes. or ten a day. So yes. you're probably making more overall from like your book world yes. than a oh, fiction author. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, definitely the 99.9% of fiction authors, yes, yeah. Um, but it, it, not, not like the top, top, top ones. But yeah, so that's – and that goes back to – I mean, if you're thinking about writing a book, it's, it's the classic Simon Sinek start with why or uh, Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind. It's like why are you doing it? And mm-hmm. for me, it's I want to use this book – uh, to bring in lead sales and referrals for self-publishing school, and then also to help people who can't afford our program. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have this, we have a journal, we have like a book outline challenge. Like we do have some lower price, like forty-seven or mm-hmm. uh maybe even ninety-seven dollar products, but it's it's like very much that's the self-serve version, and then people read this book and they say, oh my gosh. Uh, this this is going to help me grow. Or like you know, I, I love this, so I want to I want to just work with Self Publishing School to get my book done. And so that's the. When I think about it, it's like how do you strategically use a book to get more leads, sales, and referrals and advance kind of an ideology? And so I call this the silent salesman because it goes out into the world and <laughs> brings back leads, sales, and, and and referrals. And so that's the goal.
0: Have you ever uh, – our buddy Ryan Holiday, who lives here in town, mm-hmm. he is now – he's become like, this famous author. Yeah. Right, like everyone knows. And he had this thing in his book called Perennial Seller where he said like – so let's say he has 10 books, right, which I think he does, something around that area – but he l- launches a new one, and what happens is, ironically, like you get a little bump in sales from that new one, of course, but what happens is everyone finds the old ones. Yep. And the old ones actually make the money. So when you do a book launch, mm. it's not the new one making the money. Mm. It's actually all those old nine books. Yeah. They're just like, Ryan Holiday, oh, interesting, I don't care about ego is the enemy, but what's this, trust me, I'm lying. Hmm. And so they end up doing that. I saw that with like my measly two little books um, when I did the uh, You're Gonna Die one people look at your author profile and they see this other one that has like way more reviews and stuff because it's an established book. And they're like, what's that? And they also buy that. Yeah. Do you see that happening with all the author peeps?
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, and in fiction, it's a huge thing because it's read through rate. It's like one of the biggest, most important things. So it's like read through rate. Yeah. So it's basically like what percentage of people that buy and read book one, uh, buy and read book two, what percentage of those folks buy book three? What percent, So it's serialized, uh-huh. right? And so that is a big indicator. And so you can actually – it's kind of like the measuring stuff like a viral coefficient or anything else where it's like, oh, if you start to see – that those numbers are good, you can start pumping ads into the first book and knowing that your numbers are going to kind of shake out a little bit. Um, and, um, but then also as you launch new books, that'll boost your, your backlog or your catalog. And then also, then you're packaging them in box sets and stuff like that. And then same thing on the nonfiction side of things though, um, which I think will probably be most relevant for your audience, which is, I mean, you, you, you see those people who, that are just going back, and I mean, it's like the Malcolm Gladwells of the world, the Seth Godins, the Ryan Holidays, the John Gordon.
0: The, I mean, you see the same thing, where mm-hmm. it's like it, it boosts the catalog. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. So speaking of that, so boosting that catalog, building that catalog, do a lot of the authors you work with actually make a living off the books, or is it mostly like a sl- – Side income. I'm sure there's like some weird, obvious distribution of like most people sure. don't make anything. Most some people make a ton, right? Sure, sure. Similar? Yeah,
1: it's the 80-20 rule, just like with it, just like with anything else. And so I think it's, and that's where I go back to the base hits versus home runs analogy, where it's like, it, it, with our fiction or sorry, with our non-fiction authors, it's a lot of people like, all right, cool. I'm going to sell some books. I'm going to use this as a platform. Mm-hmm. Like this is an impact thing for me. This is an authority booster. Like the classic. Can't spell the word authority without the word author. It's like I'm I'm (laughs) becoming an author to build my authority, uh, and uh, yeah, and and just just stuff like that. But if 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 you are strategically, I think the people who make the most money working with us are like they're strategically using a book to grow their business, or they're like a one in ten, like refreshing it with fiction book or a few nonfiction books. So it's like, all right, you can either make your money selling books, which you're going to have to publish multiple books. Maybe you'll hit on one, but if you hit on one, you're going to have to market that book like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the more predictable path is, all right, I'm using a book to open doors and to grow my business and all that stuff.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, uh, I don't care about talking about this, but like I make about, I still make, I don't promote these at all. Um, this one, this, the "You're Gonna Die" one, I never even meant to promote. It's just like a, a thought, a fun experiment I did. Um, this one still makes me about a thousand bucks a month. I still make a thousand bucks a month awesome. between five hundred and one thousand dollars. I don't promote it. I don't talk about it. Yeah. I don't say anything about it. I yeah. rarely even say I have a book. Yeah. And people go, but I, I made it. I tried to make it free. Yeah of course you have to charge something. Yeah. I was trying to like, can I make it to where people only pay shipping or something? Mm-hmm. And Amazon's like, you have to charge like five bucks or something to mm-hmm. even make it worth our while. Mm-hmm. So I get a dollar 71 in profit per book sold. Mm-hmm. And I get, uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but does Amazon send you uh, money to your bank account in different like oh countries? Gosh, so annoying. It's I get like 17 deposits every month yep. from Amazon. Sometimes being for like 17 cents. Yeah, they'd be <laughs> like someone about in India bought your book, and I'm like, your distribution's only 30% of the book, and after taxes and stuff, it's like nothing.
1: Talk about a first world problem. Right? It's like yeah, it's so annoying.
0: Amazon <laughs> cuts me
1: 17 different direct deposits every single month, but
0: yeah. I could always tell when it comes in because my bank statement just claw. Clog- it says like Amazon in, Amazon. K, Amazon yeah. JP, Amazon USA. It's, a, yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah. But, uh, but but I remember thinking, seeing that for the first time experiencing it when I started selling this. It was making a couple thousand actually a month. And I was just like, I could legitimately maybe live off a $5 book. Mm. I was kind of surprised. Now, yeah. to be fair, I do have somewhat of an audience already. Yeah. I have an email list, I have a sure. YouTube channel. I have something I can sell it to already. No doubt. But then the lion's share of the marketing is through Amazon. Amazon yeah. markets. Yeah. I don't pay for it. I, yeah. I don't know how it does it. It just automatically puts me in there and knows it's a highly bought book uh, based on CTR, I guess. So it shows it yep. in recommended books. Is that what people see? Like most of their books come from the Amazon promotional engine.
1: Oh no doubt, and that's when it's. I mean, it's
0: the stats. I want to say it's something
1: like seventy uh, percent of all books sold are sold on Amazon, and and so that's the beautiful thing is they're bringing they're bringing customers. You just know how. You just have to know how to work that algorithm. Right, so it's like, alright, I'm picking keywords and categories that are going to be discoverable. It's like, what are people actually, uh, uh searching? And I mean, you, you, you've kind of, uh, probably intentionally. I mean, this, but maybe honestly. there was nothing
0: intentional. It was all random. <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, how to write better is in the title of your book, which is really good for SEO. So if I search oh. how to write better either in Google, sometimes that might show up as a product listing or definitely if I'm searching how to write better in Amazon, that book's more likely to show up cause it's in the title um and probably you know it's in book description it's in the actual content of the book and so and then the click through rate is is good so it's like that gets boosted so there's a bunch of other stuff and that's not even before you go down the rabbit trail of like just doing a couple strategic intentional things to maximize reviews and then also i mean are you running amazon ads
0: we tried it for a little bit got it yeah but- um
1: those work a lot better when you have um when you have all three formats that you're selling so if you're selling print uh, ebook and audiobook because the print and the audiobook are higher price, so you're higher, you have a higher average order value. So your Amazon cost of sales is what they call it, is, is it's easier to make that ROI positive. But I mean, we have a lot of our students that are doing well on Amazon ads because just the, the inventory is under bid currently. So it's like you can even self sustain even more sales. And then there's a bunch of the other stuff that we teach, which is like one super simple thing is, I mean we use this as an opt in and so uh, this I mean this is how you could set this up for a copywriting course and stuff like that which is what I do is in the very beginning of the book we give away the audio uh, I give away the audiobook for free mm-hmm. um, and I give away the vi- the video this is basically a webinar that sells self publishing school um, and so right out of the gate. And so people, it's like, if you've ever done the look inside feature, so you look inside and preview the book, mm-hmm. well, people can download the audio book or the video oh, without so even purchasing the book. That's so awesome. now we're just funneling hundreds, maybe thousands of leads a month. Uh, and they don't even have to buy the book. Now, a lot of them will, cause, and some people will think, you know, Chandler's an idiot. He doesn't even know I can get this audiobook for free without even buying the book. But of course I know, like, that lead to me is worth way more than the dollar or two bucks. And instead of paying for leads, I'm getting paid to get leads. Or they're, at worst case scenario, they're free leads. Right? So it's just like funneling tons of leads into the ecosystem. But then one super, so that, that in itself really helps
0: with growing the business. Hold it up in that camera real quick. Just hold that, that yeah. thing up so people can see a little bit. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that is so smart, dude. I've never heard of anyone like exploiting the look for future yeah. for dude. That is really
1: well, smart. and because you know, it's there's a there, what's the stat? It's I want to say it's like twenty percent of books that get started get finished. Mm-hmm. So. The first – when I published my first book, I put the call to action and the lead magnet or an opt-in, whatever, in the back of the book, right? Yeah. So they're going to finish the book, and then they're going to opt into this thing. It's like, well, no, they actually don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so just see, putting it in the beginning, it really bumped everything big time. But then just one small thing in in relation to that is like – We have, we have what we call a review sweeper. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's basically just an automated emails, email sequence. So after someone opts in from any of these things or goes to our free plus shipping funnel or anything, 21 days later, they'll get an email from me. You should totally set this up if you don't have it set up already. Um, they get an email from me and it'll say, Hey, you know, I'm just curious. What do you, it looks like you got the book a few weeks ago. Like, what do you think? Do you like it? Um, hit reply and let me know. And then people hit reply and then, um, Someone on my team, obviously, if it's good, if they're like, hey, I, this is really great, blah, blah, blah. We'll just reply to that and say, hey, thanks so much. Um, Like, this is really awesome. I'll make sure this gets in front of Chandler. Um, Would you mind just copy and pasting this and leaving it in an Amazon review? Here's the link. So it's just like you're two-stepping your way into a review. And so then that plus, I mean, there's a couple other follow-up emails. It's just like, hey, could you – it's like classic. I mean, it's – I learned copywriting from you, um, so it's it's like that classic kind of uh, stuff. Or like, hey, final plea. Like, I'm not gonna keep bugging you, but like, reviews really help me as an author. Blah blah blah, and that that just sweeps in reviews week after week, month after month, that sort of thing.
0: I've done everything wrong in this book. With like the, the call to action is at the end. It's not very clear at all. It's mm. just like a paragraph. Um, man, I've done everything a wrong. button.
1: On... You need a big button. Yeah. Um, and one thing I'll even do just while we're on so the subject. Interesting. We're getting like way in the weeds right now. Hopefully this is helpful for people. Totally. One, one small thing is is just, is just urgently. like. Urgently. <laughs> urgently. And it's just like, hey, could you leave a review? It's just like a small prompt at the end. But like this triggers the algorithm, which once that book is, if, if that book is up against another book on how to write better, but that book has more reviews, your book, well, then it's going to rank because Amazon's algorithm weighs very highly towards reviews right so it's just like all kinds of little stuff like that to oh that's so interesting maximize um
0: the publicity for. well i think we're going to do a company book like a team effort from some of the the the, the top people at the company i think we're going to do a book together Uh, i don't know if it's going to be the biggest seller in the world i think it'll be fun yeah and i think i'm going to include a lot of these little tricks this i've never actually heard these at all yeah, nice. this this is this is good stuff. All right, so I know we're already going into the technical stuff. So let's go into the technical details of writing a book. I get this all the time. Do people write in Microsoft Word or Google Docs or something else like when they write a book?
1: Yeah. Uh, my blanket advice is write in whatever software that you already use cuz this is like one of our most popular blog posts on self-publishing school is best book writing software. Yeah. Um <laughs> and uh and And really the answer, I mean, we have like this whole quiz that people can take and all that stuff to figure out which one it is. And and really the answer is, which one are you, are you already using? And Mm -hmm. you can get the fastest words on the page. Um, So that's what I recommend for people. And, uh, you know, for me, it's Google Docs. And I think that's the best. Um, We've got, it's pretty slick. Um, We can link it up in the show notes. But It's like this book outline template and it's a, tw- you just press a couple buttons. It's a book outline template generator. Mm-hmm. You press a couple buttons and it spits out like a 25 page pre formatted Google doc. That's like chapter headings, acknowledgement, copyright page, mm. all that stuff. The title page, all that stuff already in. So it's like when you start writing, you're going to start with several hundred, if not several thousand words already in your book. And so it's like, Because all the filler stuff, and so it's like it feels more substantial, and it's not like this blank cursor just blinking taunting you to write the first word. (laughs) Um, So I love Google Docs, and I also love the collaboration piece with um, editors and stuff like that because I can chase an editor through a doc versus waiting – two weeks to get it back. And then I got to review everything and then send it back. And all. Kind of like highlight in red. <laughs> yeah. And you're dealing with different versions. It's <laughs> like, Oh shoot. I opened up the wrong version. This was all old. This is not the newest stuff. So I like Google docs. I think it's the best. But what I would say before then is we kind of have a, a three step writing process that that we teach, which is and, and step one is the mind map. And I think so many people skip this step. So I'll actually just do a brain dump of all the ideas around the topic for the book. I'll mind map it. Then I'll turn that mind map into an outline, which is step number two. And then I'll use that outline to write the book, which is step number three. And then basically, and it's, I mean, obviously more in depth than that, but, um, then step number three, I start chapter number one and I'll do the same thing. 10 minutes, mind mapping everything I can think of on that chapter, 10 minutes, turning that mind map into an outline for that chapter. And then I'll either spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half writing the chapter based on that outline and repeat the process chapter by chapter, or I'll spend 10 minutes speaking that chapter for people who speak better than you, write, Mm. And then speak that basically repeat that one chapter at a time. And then I've got a, you know, get that transcribed and, and then, all right, now I've got something substantial that I can work with and pay an editor to, to do the editing or do the editing form uh, or do the editing myself or whatever. But so that, like that's kind of the process. So it's do that first and then work within whatever software that you're most comfortable with.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I did both of these in Google Docs and it was super yeah. easy. I mean, they're I admittedly the only like less than 50 pages, so yeah. it's not that bad. But dude, that, that generator sounds cool because the biggest pain in the ass was doing all the formatting. And so yeah. my trick for that was I hired people on Fiverr yeah. for like 40 bucks, yep. like to get the good ones. Yep. They'll, they'll format the whole book for an EPUB file or whatever yep. like Amazon requires yep. it. And like, it. it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass to do it. it. It's really hard is. because what happens is you you put it in like a certain size, Whatever these are six by nine books. So it's like put it in a certain size. So I did it, but then it changes all the formatting. And so then like, there's like a random picture on a page by itself. Yeah. And then yeah. like this one, like this word gets cut off. It's so weird. So don't just, do it yourself.
1: You yeah. Yeah, was a smart move. Yeah, uh, exactly. People are always like, cause there are, there are, is ways that you can do it yourself. I'm just like, just pack it's like forty, maybe a hundred bucks, depending on how long your book is. Well I had
0: charts and tables and images and yeah. it was horrible. Yeah. It was just like a table would get cut off and go to the next page. It was garbage. And then I paid some guy in Estonia forty bucks yeah. and he totally did it. Yeah. Um one interesting thing. Let's talk about uh promotion promoting a book. Mm-hmm. Um how do you promote a book? Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that's like ninety percent of it. I don't know about ninety, but like you write oh, the book and hot. then like promoting is is the trick.
1: Yeah, I mean if you build it, they will not come. You have to, <laughs> you have to tell them about it. <laughs> and uh, it's the classic. Uh, uh, it's like man, this is why this is why uh, I, this is why I went through your stuff early on in the copywriting course. I know I've told you this before, but copywriting course is like one of the first online courses that I ever took and also uh, I I want to say definitely the first copywriting course I ever took Mm -hmm. because I I got there as a result of failing and coming to a couple mentors of mine and I'm like hey what am I doing wrong and they're like Chandler you got to learn sales and marketing that's what you're doing wrong And and it's the classic well hold up I don't like sales and marketing And they said, it doesn't matter if you like it, you gotta learn it. Because Mm -hmm. you're, you're not gonna sell books, your business is gonna struggle if you don't learn this skill set. And so then it was, okay, what is copywriting? Salesmanship in print, being able to, to, to use the written word to sell things. And then where does copywriting show up? Every, I mean, everywhere. It's in the title, it's in the subtitle, it's in the way that we structure this, this, the cover of a book, it's in the book description, it's in the, You know, it's the classic, like the job of the cover is to get them to click into your Amazon listing, the slippery slope, concept. the slippery slope concept. But so then that's like ongoing marketing and building that into the book. But how do you promote a book? I'll just say there's a lot of ways to do it. But if you just do one thing, um, do uh, create a launch team. And so a launch team is, it could be five people. It could be 15 people. It could be 50 people. It's anyone who's supports you or the topic of your book. And you pull together a little, it could be friends, family members, customers, um, doesn't matter. And there's two sides of the coin. There's what they, what they do and what they get, right? So what they do is, uh, they, they read the book ahead of time and leave a review on day one. That's the most important thing. Um, and then what they get in return is they get a free digital copy of the book, I like to put their name in the digital copy of the book. Um, People love that. And they get to see like kind of the behind the scenes of the launch. It's a cool thing that they get to be involved in. Mm -hmm. And obviously they can promote more than just leaving a review. But Mm -hmm. for me, it's I want to be super clear where it's like, if you just do that. um, So now all of a sudden when you're launching, you've got five, 15, 50 reviews right out of the gates. And that really helps the Amazon algorithm say, oh, this is a book that people like. And it just their search algorithm is very highly weighted towards reviews. Um, so if you want to rank for keywords, if you want to, all that stuff long-term, it's like you need reviews. Outside of all the other stuff that's obvious to us as marketers, uh, like social proof, and no one's buying a book with three reviews. Yeah. Um, so it's like you need reviews. And so if you just do one thing, do the launch team.
0: So you're talking about, it's like your brother, your mom, your dad, a part of your launch team, right? Uh, I mean, depending on how big your audience is. Yeah, I mean, let's yeah. say you're not Chandler Bolt to have an yeah. audience. like. You're talking about like your buddies. Oh,
1: yeah. For me, this was on, on, this was friends on Facebook. And oh. I think my first launch team, I probably had maybe 50 to 70. And it was, I mean, reach outs. Like, and it's like the classic, I will say, like, what the mistake most authors make is they come out of their hole on launch week and they're like, Oh my gosh, guys, I'm launching a book. book?" And then it's just like for a week, they just beat everyone over the head with it. And then they go back in their cave. It's like, no one cares. I, this is the first I've heard of this. I'm not interested. And so instead, what I recommend is just involve people in the process. Mm. I mean, Hollywood has done this. Well, I feel like for years of just like the behind the scenes, red carpet Mm. experience where it's like leading up to it. It's, and it's, Oh I'm uh, announcing that I'm writing and so we'd like build this into the student journey where it's like we send them a surprise gift in the mail after they enroll and like one of them is like future this future published author sign where mm-hmm. it's like they can put in a date they can take a picture of it post it so it's like that's public accountability for them and it's building buzz to, towards the book and then it's like okay what are all these milestones and we're trying to build a we've got like this book cover mockup generator where it's like you put in your book cover and it spits out a bunch of promotional images that mm-hmm. you can use um, that are pretty cool but we're trying to take that we haven't been able to pull it off yet but take that to the next level where it's like okay what are the 10 to 20 milestones that you want to celebrate as an author and how do we allow you to upload your book cover, and it's like, oh, I got my first review, I got my first 50 reviews, hit the number one bestseller tag, like all these things. So it's like, Mm. how do you just involve people in the process? I'm thinking about, and you've probably seen people do this, and we kind of popularized this concept, but um, voting on titles and voting on covers. Mm. It's like, hey, what do you guys think of this book cover, and which one's best? The title, like, and so involving people in the process and the people who engage. is like, oh, hey, you want to be on my launch team? I'll give you a free copy of the book ahead of time.
0: You know, I think I inadvertently did this with with this book. The, yeah. the, the this book will teach you how to write better. I was doing all these. I was going to call it the ten copywriting commandments. And it had a picture of, like, whoever the Noah guy – whatever the – I don't know. I'm yeah. not Christian. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That, that Noah, the good Noah's art guy He's holding – the Commandments, whoever that dude was. And he's holding up the Ten Commandments, it says Ten Copywriting Commandments. And I thought it was so clever. And so we tested it versus this book cover, and the copyright the Commandments thing just failed like crazy. It was, like, 90-10. Like, don't do that one. Do this one. And this one was just a random cover. Someone that was helping me at the time just made it as, like, a placeholder. It, yeah. It wasn't meant – it wasn't meant to be like anything crazy.
1: And and man, I, I mean this 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 uh this even just looking at this cover, I mean this this is the old, I mean this is what we teach. It's like a good book cover does three things: it grabs attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the title is easy to read, and it's preferably in the upper third. Right? Easy, very easy to read, and it's in the upper third. And then the third thing is, does your prospect or potential reader instantly understand what the book's about and whether or not it's for them? Mm -hmm. I mean, this book will teach you how to write better is the title of the book. (laughs) I instantly understand. Oh, look at the back too. It says you
0: plus this book equals equals write better. better. (laughs) Which I think
1: is, I mean, this is classic you and like classic your style of copywriting, (laughs) but it's so effective. And then it's this book is, short effective and sort of offensive <laughs> but you will write better after reading it <laughs> so it's like i, I read that and i'm like oh cool i'm gonna like this and then uh communication is just getting information from one brain to another brain quote it's like okay cool like i instantly pretty much, understand yeah. what the book's about and whether or not it's for me and either i'm gonna say oh no offensive i'm out or Offensive. That could be funny and make this topic yeah. more interesting. All right. I'm, I'm in for this. Let's, I want to learn how to write. I
0: always now. tell people, I, I always really strive to make sure that everyone's on the same page about something. Usually unhappiness is something like if someone's like, I didn't like this course. I don't like, it's just like they were expecting something and we didn't match up somehow. It's unmet
1: expectations. So if right? I, just,
0: so I, I was debating the like <clears throat> offensive thing. I was just like, well, at the, I probably wouldn't say that again today, but 2013, I was like, I mean, there's some uncouth language in there. I Shit. may as well just say that. Yeah. So people were well, all on the same Great. page. We're on the same page over here. Um, Okay. Specific about it. Launch team. I like that thing. I did a bunch of – yeah, I did a a lot of involvement on my blog with, like, this thing. Like, everything I learned, why I picked a six-by-nine book. Um, I actually copied it from uh, Kamal Ravikant, Naval Mm. Ravikant's Mm -hmm. brother. Mm -hmm. Um, I met him, and he had a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. Mm. It was exactly this size. And he sold it for five bucks, exactly what I did. Mm. And I um I got on the phone with him and I was asked him some questions and I was like, Do you mind if I literally just copy everything you did? But mm. about a different topic. He's like, I don't yeah. care. And yeah. so I literally modeled this book after that one. It was the exact yeah. same type of thing. Um I, I like I just liked it. It's like five it, it was such a fair trade. I remember it was five bucks. I learned an interesting lesson and I was like all right, money well spent. Yeah, it didn't take a lot of time. Yeah, I felt very like uh, pleased by the transaction. Mm. So I How always hope that you his book. Yeah, like yeah. it wasn't like super up my like loving yourself. Like I'm not yeah. really into all that kind of stuff. But I read it. It took me about 30 minutes, and I was like, I got something out of that. Yeah, cool. It's great. What what more? The beautiful thing everyone's about book. Yeah, he made some money. I paid a little bit of money. I got something out of it. Yeah, we're all happy. It's I, great. I really really like that. What about promoting the book through like blogs and social? I imagine like people take to social media now. And just start like hammering the book out. Does that work well or? Uh, it does it, to a point. I mean, so I'm all about
1: like rifle, not shotgun approach. And so, I mean, being from the South, I guess maybe this is worth explaining. We're in Texas. But, We're- um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's like when you shoot shotgun, it's a bunch of little BBs sprays mm. everywhere. You hope that you hit the target with some of them. Rifle. That travel a long distance, extremely accurate. So for us, we're looking at the rifle approach to marketing. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of stuff that you can do, but a handful of things that move the needle, those handful of things, I mean, uh, there's, there's, you know, launch team stuff, there's podcast interviews really move the needle. So mm. it's like I would be way more strategic about doing podcast interviews than I mm. would be about guest posting for other blogs. Um And then there's other stuff like influencer stuff and getting people to post. And so, yeah, social can move the needle, but then it becomes a chicken and the egg. Like if I've got no audience, well, I'm just posting to no one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's what I did uh with my first book was – just engaging social, but mostly in the highest leverage way possible to get, to rec- like build buzz and bring people onto my launch team and then one-on-one outreach, it, outreaches to like follow up for reviews and stuff like that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we were just talking to Eamon, the CEO of AppSumo, and he was like, actually, social is the weakest channel that they have. Oh, yeah. They, they do it, and it's yeah. great, but social is the weakest channel by far. Sa-
1: I mean, same for self-publishing school. We were talking about that right before the interview. It's like, yeah, we're not really – on social a ton because it, it just doesn't drive a ton well because
0: i look at like stuff so, like some of your numbers don't add, not don't add up but i was looking at some of your numbers it's like your youtube channel has tons of subscribers yeah yeah like pretty high for a youtube channel mm-hmm. your podcast it has like hundreds of reviews yeah so it sounds like that's a pretty big channel we'll get into that in a second like Twitter's like five people or something Twitter's like no one, like i actually couldn't yeah. find you i typed in chandler bolt author because I, I was like i swear i follow you or something and there's like some bald dude with the beard that shows up <laughs> it's not even you you're not even like
1: on there I i personally do not have a twitter or instagram or anything besides facebook but then as a company we technically have a twitter we are pretty i don't think we post really you're probably not selling a ton of books yeah that
0: sounds yeah that's always that's always kind of encouraging to hear whenever i hear like someone i was just like oh they only have 800 followers but then you're like oh they have a hundred million dollar company you're like yes wait a second like oh social media is not real life sometimes and it's stylistically right
1: like we could build a business around that but for me i've just always ran away from that kind of stuff i'm like i don't want to be dependent on social or on posting on social to as a way of living cuz then i'm living life to i don't know this is a bit of a bit of a soapbox but then i'm living life to grab the picture to be able to sell this thing and mm. like constantly feeling like i've got to post everything about my life to like drum up business which i don't know works for some people some people love it but it's just not me
0: yeah uh, so let's say, okay, so let's that perfect lead into content marketing, yeah, how are you getting people to hear about self publishing in school? I'm assuming since like social is not like a huge channel, I'm going out on a limb and saying number one email, number two podcast
1: mm uh, gosh. Those would be two big ones. You know what's interesting, and I think I I probably have a contrary opinion to most people in the marketing world, is I actually don't consider email a channel. What? Um, email, to me, is a byproduct of other channels. So we are very good at email marketing, but to me, email in itself is, a, is an extension of a marketing channel where we captured that attention. Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, how do they end up on our email list? Well, they either found some of our content, subscribe to the podcast and or they saw an ad or they whatever so it's like email is a byproduct of those other channels but I mean if we counted it as a channel it would, I, I almost definitely be number one um but uh, so you're pretty close, so I would say there's um there's Probably three or four main channels, and I think that's one of the things we've done well as a business is actually like diversifying channels so that we're not channel dependent, where it's like if we lose a channel that we would be really screwed, which in the old days we definitely would be. So I'd say it's uh, content marketing is like our blog and sites that we own is probably, probably number one. Then I would say somewhere close to that, maybe even higher than that is uh, business development. So Podcast interviews, me going on people's podcasts, me speaking at events, me doing webinars, or we have like a speaking team. And so basically think, you know, popular authors like Hal Elrod, for mm-hmm. example, he sent us more customers than anyone all time, the author of The Miracle Morning, right? Mm-hmm. Says, oh, I've published a book. It changed my life you should publish a book too here learn from Chandler. so that, that like me or someone on my team coming in to do trainings with people's audiences that's one of the biggest ones um and then you've got content marketing then you've got uh like facebook youtube google ads and all that stuff and then there, i mean then there's a bunch of other random stuff that i would bucket in content marketing but we also own uh selfpublishing.com mm-hmm. which is a um we've built into a decent uh, size site and then uh, a decent amount of sites that I, I won't say, but that in the space. So basically, if anyone Google's anything about writing and publishing a book, they're probably landing on one of our sites. I mean, and I think know, you're like
0: number one for a lot of those major keywords. A those lot. Those big hefty keywords. A
1: lot. And and I mean now now it's you know we'll be two out of the top five or three out of the mm. top five. Um. And so just I mean yeah. People, well, also people, like your
0: videos will show up your images will show up and your listings will show up. So multiple. So you're kind of dominant as part of the search engine.
1: Yeah. And nice. It's it's vertical SEO. Right. And, and, and even inside of Amazon, I mean people getting my books, like that's what I would consider that within a content marketing channel and all that stuff.
0: So of all those channels y'all are using like video, Twitter, YouTube podcasts, it sounds like YouTube and like podcasts are like pretty big. So podcasts typically tend to move the needle for selling books, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. But every podcast has like just tons of authors on all the time. Oh yeah. I think, I think that's well established that yes. podcasts sell books. Oh yeah. Is that that's it, still the case?
1: Oh, no doubt. And, 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 and it used to be that people did book tours, but now they do podcast tours. And I mean, I would call that a virtual book tour, right? Yeah. You're just going on a bunch of podcasts. And that's pretty common now because who's buying books? People who are listening to podcasts who are trying to better
0: themselves. Oh, so there's a lot of crossover. Right? There's just so much correlation.
1: It's like, if I'm the type of person that listens to a podcast, I'm also probably the type of person that buys books, Um, especially self-help or business or whatever the topic of the podcast is. So podcasts definitely move books. And And in the same vein, I mean, this is why we brought the podcast back and the YouTube channel and made that a focus is because, gosh, a year and a half ago maybe, it was just a random Monday, and it was like, in the course of the last twenty four hours, it was like ten or fifteen thousand dollars worth of sales and from the podcast and it mm-hmm. was the last the last two or three sales that we had it's like what in the world like people were i, I, I did forgot that the podcast was out there because I just had back a lot of, of like fifty something episodes and mm-hmm. I, so I went and looked i 'm like, hold up, this thing's still getting like two or three thousand downloads a month." And it brought us our last two or three sales. Like, what are we doing? Why don't we just bring this back? And for, for me, it's a Trojan horse to like go build new relationships. And so it's like, I'll bring someone to the podcast. They're like, Oh wow. I'd never even heard about self publishing school. You guys are legit. I get asked about how to write books all the time. You want to come and do a training with my people? It's like, cool. Yeah, sounds good. So it's like just building new relationships and bringing in and, and it's just cool.
0: It's, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that's uh, – so I'd say, what about the YouTube channel? Would you say the same thing that people who read books watch the YouTube channel? A
1: mm, little different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, anyone who's watching this on
1: YouTube. A uh, little different. Chandler's saying you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say a little different. Uh, less of a correlation. Um, obviously, YouTube skews younger, mm-hmm. and we have uh, typically older – um, clients. And, and so YouTube hasn't worked as well for us, but I will say what I love about it is it's vertical SEO, right? So it's like, if, if I want to own the term, how to write a book, how do I own it on every single platform? So I want to own it when people search on Google, I want to own it when people search on Amazon, I want to own it when people search in the Apple podcast store, I want to own it when people search on YouTube, I want to like every single platform that they could search. And so for me, the, the video is a way to do that. And, and it just so happens that, I mean, I'm a big fan of play to your strengths and content creation. So for me, video and audio is way better than writing. And so Mm -hmm. we have a team and people that, that write, and then I do the video content and then they will a lot of times synthesize that into written content. So I like that. But then also, just like you said earlier, it's like, if I search how to write a book, it's like, Oh, there's Chandler's video on how to write a book there's the self-publishing school's post on how to write a book. There's self com's post on how to write a book. And then there's Chandler's TEDx talk on how to write a book. Mm. It's like boom, like we're just taking a bunch of that real estate.
0: Yeah. I always kind of wonder that people always talk about different channels. So I would think about it too. It's like Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, how about all like prefer- yeah. preferably yeah. all, I know yeah. there's like limited sure. resources, but you could show up on just every single one.
1: Yeah. And, man, this this circles back to the, the social thing. I'm a big fan of channels that have longevity. That's what I hate about social. If I post and it's going to be gone in three days and no one's ever going to see it again, that, to me, is running on a marketing handle.
0: Okay, though. so I'm going to push back on that because I have a little bit of – so with Twitter, it used to be kind of a joke back in the day, and now it's like everyone's got a Twitter, every doctor, like emergency yes. stuff is out there. And here's the thing. You're right, for the most part, in my feed, whatever's like 50 seconds old, done, sure. it's gone, yeah. it's yeah. gone. But – Every once in a while, I, I, see some new person, and I'm like, let's check out the Twitter feed. Yeah. yeah. And you start scrolling, and scrolling, and scrolling. It's like a blog, and you're just yeah. kinda like, you know, yeah. the next 20 minutes, you're like, well, am I reading, you know, posts from like March 2017 for this person? But the thing is, I mean, you're not gonna <laughs> see it all the time, but you do see it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, I just, it's just not like, really shown in the stats that that stuff's getting read. That's and so right. I always think about that, even with the, I was, I- no, not oh. for. I used to hate the idea of stories, like Snapchat stories, yeah, yeah. then Instagram stories which yeah. became popular. I used to hate it cuz I would watch my friends do it. I'm like, "Wait, you're putting all that work in and in 24 hours it's gone. Yeah, you just yeah. wasted part of your life to yeah. show this to like vague people, right?" Yeah. Now I post stories all the time just cuz I want to remember them. Totally. And it's it's kind of interesting like while they do get kind of indexed away, it saves it in the background. Mm-hmm. It stays in mm-hmm. the background. And so for that reason, I'm like, oh, that work isn't gone. If I ever want to, I could put one of sure. my posted stories and have it live there forever. Yeah, yeah. And so so even with social, I'm starting to see, like, people do scroll back and look at old posts. Yeah. So I started doing I started poking back to old posts, and you'll still see several hundred impressions a month. And I'm like, that's not nothing.
1: Oh, 100%. That's not nothing. I think Twitter is probably the exception to that, whereas Instagram or Facebook, I mean – that's why I think it's genius, and that's why – I mean I'm not a big Twitter guy, so I can't really speak very knowledgeably on it. But but I, I think it's uh, – when I lived in San Francisco, I had a friend that worked at Twitter, and it's like there's no innovation happening over here or, or over there. How is this a billions and billions and billions of dollar company and growing? It's like the embed, the embed and the searchability. Mm-hmm. It's like – you're not seeing that often Instagram posts or Facebook posts embedded on a piece of content mm-hmm. that then will rank and then will come back like people keep coming back to that thing, but you see tweets embedded on on posts and it's searchable and there's so I think that's I think there's a better argument for that. But for me personally, outside of that, it's like, how do we create a piece of content that lives forever that keeps bringing back viewers, subscribers, all that? And so that's why, you know, circling back to what, uh, you know, the, the YouTube piece is it's very searchable and Google owns it. Mm-hmm. So obviously they're going to show it and it's going to keep bringing in.
0: Basically- and it, it, it sounds like, so it, I was looking at your, your stats, just spying on it, and you get like 200K plus worth of free search engine traffic a month. And that's just for, for content, not even considering YouTube. Oh, no doubt. You should probably make that number even bigger. No doubt. Um, I'm assuming you get a ton of email signups from like those big hefty articles. Like uh, I'm assuming how to self-publish a book It's probably a big one. (laughs) I looked at the traffic stats. It's pretty nuts on some of those. Yeah. So I'm assuming you made a lot of your emails and stuff from just like single posts like that that you probably wrote a couple years ago and refresh every once in a while, right?
1: Oh, gosh. Thousands and thousands and thousands of leads a month. It's wild. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe north of ten to fifteen thousand leads a month um, off of off of content stuff.
0: Yeah. Damn. That's so. I mean, content still definitely works. Um, so let's talk about the podcast. Uh, so your podcast, you got like five hundred plus reviews, and, and that's just on Apple alone. And I'm sure Spotify has some, and Stitcher or whatever. Um, so I'm, you said podcast is a big channel, like what works on podcasts? And I'm just asking selfishly too. uh, like interviews like this, does that work? Or is it when you sit down and talk about, I'm trying to teach you how to do something like what works better?
1: Yeah. Um, and we don't have a ton of great tracking on that. I would say, uh, I like to have a mix of big guests. So it's like that, that, and, and cause we're also, and that's why I like publishing it on, um, YouTube as well because it's searchable mm. and a, a lot of times we're better at seo than the people that we're bringing on the authors so then we can start searching for their name for the or sorry we can start ranking for their name for their book for like all this stuff on youtube itself and so when people were searching like oh gary chapman five love languages it's like oh here's this interview with chandler bolt who interviewed gary chapman of five love languages like And so that helps our discoverability um, and introduces us to new markets. Um, And so I like that component. And so it's like this mix of that, then bringing on successful students as case studies that works really well. And so then people see, but I don't, I I don't do it in a spammy, like, and tell us how horrible your life was before self-publishing school and how amazing the program was. And like, it's just an infomercial for 45 minutes. It's like, you know, there's a couple calls to action, but it's like, all right, let's talk about you and your book and your experience and all that. So that works pretty well. And then uh, and then sometimes bringing in subject matter experts like on my team, mm-hmm. like coaches of specific, like we have a children's book school program or we have a... Fundamentals of Fiction mm-hmm. and Story program. We have a Sell More Books program. We have, so it's like, all right, let me bring in the coach that runs the children's book side of the company to talk about children's books. And then it's like, oh, do you want this person to coach you? Book a call with the self-publishing school team and you know, let's talk about working together. And it's like, Oh, that person I heard on the podcast could be my coach helping me with my book. So like that, that works pretty well with a very clear call to action at the end. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Well, what's the cadence that you're putting out podcasts? Is there like a, uh, one a week, one a week? Yeah. That, that was just always the case.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I think it's, I think it's the right cadence. Although a, a lot of the, I mean, the algorithms are you know favor better uh, or uh, more frequent posting because it's like every time you post with a whole subscriber deal it boosts downloads and so this one but then I just think people long term get tired of that and And so then it it just inverse, like it's, it's a short term spike if you do it that way. But for me, I, I would, I don't want to run on a hamster wheel. It's also hard
0: to do multiple interviews per week. I mean, just even this, like you got to schedule everyone's time together and you got to edit and put like, I don't think people realize like how many steps there are just to uploading a video interview. Yes. It's a, it it used to take us like a week. We're trying to get it down to like a day. Yeah. It's a whole process. Yeah. I'm assuming you figured the same thing with podcasts, just getting the guests on board, figuring out like after six guests. Yeah. Who's, Who's left? Who like, bring
1: on. Yes, yeah. yeah, like then you're bringing on Chandler Bull. I mean, jeez. We're at
0: the bottom of the <laughs> barrel here, man. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, no, I brought you on for, like subject matter. Like, like you said, it's kind of like a thing. Uh, well, one, we live really close, so yeah. it's kind of fun to hang out. But two, it's also like we were thinking about a book, and I was curious about book stuff, and I was like, well, he's like the best person on books. Yeah.
1: That's what I love about doing this is like all the smartest, most successful people write books and it's like, I have this skill set. And so it's an in, in, road to any of those people because I have a thing that I'm like, Hey, I can help you. And you know what? Then-
0: you know what's interesting about that? Nomadic Matt, one of our buddies runs a big travel website. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he purposely does not go to a lot of travel conferences because at a travel conference, everyone's like the travel guy yes. and everyone knows where to go in Santorini. Yes. But if he goes to like a business conference and he's like the one travel guy, yes. he's the travel yes.
1: guy. Yes. Same with our stuff with bizdev, I mean, back when events were happening a lot, we don't go to writer's conferences. Mm. We go to entrepreneur conferences or we go to chiropractor conferences. We go to like stuff like that. Oh, and interesting. Those go so much better because those, those are people who are like, Oh my gosh, that it's, it's less market sophistication, right? Because they're not having a bunch of people that speak as often as I do come in and speak. So it's like, I'll come in and speak. And they're like, Oh my gosh, this guy was unreal. Uh, And I mean, because we just sat through five chiropractors giving like a boring talk. I come and set the rim on fire and then people are like, oh my gosh, I want to work with this guy. So it's like the same thing.
0: And those are the people, honestly, that can benefit the most from a book. They're probably not going to have like some hit chiropractic book. But when you write the book on chiropractic, you get 35 reviews. It's a big deal to someone like a random chiropractor. Well,
1: not only that, but it's like we'll teach – It's like it goes back to the whole lead sales reviews thing – or sorry, lead sales referrals thing where it's like, oh, let's show you how to add that as part of your evaluation process. Give two to every patient or every customer. Like you get five patients from this at two grand a pop. That's like 10 grand worth of customers in the first month – like like just that type of thing. So it's – I mean it's using the book – um, but not, I mean, they, most of those folks don't care about the Amazon reviews, it's so we, people in my door.
0: So, uh, kind of wrapping up here, but like when you, like one thing I always thought that was interesting about you, cause I lived with you in San Francisco a couple times, uh, it was fun times. And when you get people on board for self publishing school, you normally just get on board with the salesperson. That's what I noticed the biggest, like, between our businesses. Ours, like, we used to have people call and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but we are just full, like, web self-service, right? Yeah. You, on the other hand, I think most of your company is salespeople, right? Or it, it, maybe at the time. 40%, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a lot of salespeople. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got, like, 10-plus salespeople, I think? Or... Yeah, we do, yeah. Damn, I mean, that's maybe, a lot. Maybe 12, maybe, I don't know. That's Can't a bit unusual for, yeah. like... You're not really a course creator, but like yeah. th- that's that's crazy. So you get people. I I even went right before this because I remember it was the same. Like everything basically just leads you to a calendar. Yes, it's like the call to action. Yes. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you get more people to sign up if they have a proper phone call. I I assume it self selects people who aren't serious. Yes. You know? They're not going to get a phone call if they're just dilly dallying. Yes. And so your whole business, your whole website. If you go to what Self Dash Publishing School. Yes. You Self Dash Publishing School. It'll probably get you to a calendar within like two or three clicks, right? Yes. That's what it seems like. No doubt. So that's just still the number one way.
1: That's the model, yeah. And and I think it just works better in a lot of ways. I mean, because we're just such a high inbound company. I mean, we talked about all the leads. So we're not – I mean, I don't have a sales team doing any outbound or any cold calling or whatever. We do warm calling, which is like these are people who have – Given us their contact information. Um, but to, to the end goal is like, all right, how do we, cause it's a high, I mean, people don't want to make a, uh, a five, six, $10,000 purchase just like, all right, cool. I'm just put my credit card into this form. It's like they want to talk to someone, right? Yeah. So that helps. But then it's also helpful for the, 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 the customer or the prospect and we're able to be selective. So it's like we're qualifying people on those calls too. So it's like, Hey, are you going to actually do this? And, like, are you going to implement this? And so it's like, we're able to be selective. We're we're able to help a ton of people who don't even enroll. Um, and then it's, it's just more efficient. Um, now the, the flip side is you got to be good at hiring and developing a sales team, which I think is probably a bit of a defensible note that we have. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it's like we can build an organization that recruits, that trains, that develops, um, a really good sales team. But then by doing that, that feeds a lot of so much of what we're able to do in the rest of the company. Cause it's, there's higher margin. We can invest in R and D. We can do all that, all the other stuff.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, well, let's do, let's do a quick little, uh, uh random questions first, and then we'll do a little lightning round and wrap up. <laughs> so, uh, random questions. Your family owned bolt farm, family Treehouse has 205,000 Instagram subscribers yeah. for a freaking Airbnb. Yeah. What, what, the, hell? what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> the heck? What's going on? It's uh,
1: Yeah, so we were talking right before this. So, I mean, talk about play to your strengths. I largely ignore social, and my brother and his wife are unbelievable at it. And so, obviously, my brother plays in a Grammy-nominated rock and roll band Need to Breathe. Um, so, that certainly doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but they built the first one on my parents' property. Like, this is where I grew up. Um, and they did marketing for it and it got booked out like six months in advance every single day of the week. And it wow. pretty much stays booked up. And so then they said, Oh wow, we've got something here. Um, and my, so it's, it's kind of a mix of, so yeah, my brother's a really good designer. He's the creative one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've done a lot of really good stuff with marketing and then his wife's super talented and, um, they, yeah, they, uh, you know she comes from a TV background, and so they kind of did that. And we did an I did an interview with them on the Self Publishing School podcast. It's like influencer marketing and PR because that is their bread and butter. And then what they'll do as well is they'll do a giveaway. So they had like Tim Tebow posted about mm. it. they whatever, and it's like oh we want to give we want to do this giveaway. And especially during COVID, it was like hey we want to give away a stay at a treehouse to like uh, a a um, essential worker who really deserves it. Mm. so it's like nominate. And so someone like Tim Tebow, it's like, or whoever, I mean, they do this, I mean, Florida Georgia line, like all these big celebrities um, will post about it. And for them, it's like, Hey, I'm hooking my audience up with this awesome thing. And then they'll just get, I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of followers uh, and, <laughs> and tons of bookings. And so now they just opened up, uh, their Chattanooga location. It's eight domes and two tree houses. They were just on the on world's best vacation rentals. It's like new a show Netflix on, show, Yeah, a right? new Netflix show, like all that. And Dang. it's just, I mean, the flywheel's
0: spinning and, uh, and and business is booming. What does that farm go for per night, roughly?
1: Uh, three, four, 500 bucks a night. Something like that. That's um depending on depending on which one. And and I mean it's a unique, unforgettable experience. Yeah, it looks it's wild like, if you want to check
0: it out. Oh, it's crazy. What, your Bolt yeah. farm? BoltFarmtreehouse dot com. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And it has a website and everything. That's pretty awesome. Um sweet. So let's do let's do a quick lightning round. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna time you on these. We use them as like YouTube shorts. So that's what I'm doing. So I'll I'll time it. No pressure. We could redo it if we need. Um so I'll ask a question and then we go. So, so I'm going to do the how to get 100 reviews for a brand new book. All right. So how would you get 100 reviews for a brand new book? Launch team. Uh, get, get,
1: get, I would get 125 people on a launch team. Um, these, these are people who support you or the topic of the book. Uh, I'll give them a free digital copy of the book uh, in exchange for a review. Um, immediately when it launches. Second option is I would, if you have an email list, obviously, is I would say uh, enter to win a signed copy of this book. Um, I've actually done this. I got 188 reviews in 48 hours. Um, so enter to win a signed copy of the book. Click this link. That's going to take you to the review page. Now you have to be careful because you can't incentivize reviews. Um, so just say you're going to enter to win just by clicking this link. It's going to take you to a review page. If you'd like to review, leave a review. That would be amazing and unbelievably helpful. Um, but you don't have to. And then boom! I mean, for me, that was
0: 188 reviews. Nice. That was actually a good answer. Um, this one was a little bit vague. So would you write? How would you write a book from start to finish? Is that something you can answer in a minute? Is that too vague? Sure. All right. All right. So, uh, how would you write a book from start to finish? So I would. I would. I would do three things. I would mind
1: map outline and then write the book. All right. And so I'm going to mind map all the ideas I have on this topic. I'm going to turn that mind map into an outline. That's step number two is the outline. And then step number three, write the book one chapter at a time, do the same thing, mind map everything I can think of on the chapter, 10 minutes turning that into an outline, then 45 minutes to an hour and a half writing the chapter and repeat that process chapter by chapter or uh, 10 minutes speaking the chapter, repeat that process chapter by chapter. You get the draft done in as little as a weekend, you get pay an editor, you get the book produced,
0: you launch that bad book. done. I'm going to use that method. Thank you. And then, um, and this, the uh, ideas one. So let's see, uh, how do you get ideas to start a book?
1: Yeah. So there's three or four questions. I call this the idea finder. So it's, uh, what do you get paid for? Or what's your expertise? So if you run a job, or if you work in a job, or if you run a business, you know, what is that knowledge work that you do? We're all knowledge workers. If I were to try to do what you do today, there would be this gap between me on day one and you. And and that gap is a really great book. So that's the best place to start for most people. Second one is a business owner. What are the broken record conversations that you keep having just over and over and over again? This is either sales conversations or onboarding conversations. The best way to stop talking about it is to write a book on it (laughs) and then just point to that. And guess what? That'll also be the best business decision you ever make this can bring in tons of sales for your business, uh, and then maybe what are you passionate about, or what do people come to you for advice on, is like a last ditch effort if you can't think of
0: something of the first two. Nice, that, that was a, that was actually a really good answer. Um, let's see, man, uh, Chandler Bolt, thanks so much for uh, for joining. Where can people find you? What was the website, the socials that we want them to follow? Yeah, so best place would be um, go to
1: self-publishingschool.com. Um, that's the main place um, where we're, we're putting out content and that sort of thing. We've got a, our pillar post on how to write a book is like kind of the the main place. You can get a free copy of my book published there. We've got free training there, all that good stuff. Uh, if you're interested in chatting with my team about potentially working with us, it's self-publishingschool.com forward slash apply. Um, all roads lead to booking a call, as we talked about earlier. Uh, and uh, and then lastly, uh, just me personally on social. I'm only on Facebook, so kind of an old school in that Facebook. way. Facebook? Yeah, man. You look be, so young, <laughs> but I didn't know you are
0: 65.
1: <laughs> oh, I might be making an Instagram soon. There's so, just so much social pressure. I've resisted for so long.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'll, I'll link everything in the show notes, all your stuff. Thanks so much, Chandler Bolt, for doing this. This is actually really cool. Um, I selfishly invited you here because I want to write another book. And you're like the king of this stuff. So We're check make out it Chandler happen. Bolt. Yeah, you got a big old uh, YouTube channel, and uh, I want to almost call your uh salespeople just to see what they do because I'm just curious. It seems to work so well. So I'm like, that's a good I idea. I think Neville's gonna yeah.
1: be the newest student at Self Publishing School before he knows it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have selfpub pub dot com. Oh man. All right, cool. Thanks, Chandler Bolt. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Appreciate sir. Appreciate it.